All right, uh, so today, ladies and gents, um, we get to inf invite my, past, my pastor, my mentor, friend, um, Tom Allen Boss, to come and give the talk today. Um, so he's making his way up here. Um, I, I like to take every opportunity I can to say this, but um, the Wyoming Harbor journey has been a long one that reaches back many years, and Tom has been a critical part of like advocating for making that happen, for believing in me when I said and did stupid things along the way, and trusting that God was behind this whole thing. So um, let's just welcome Tom with a warm snap. Let's do the snap jazz thing. <laughs> And then, um, thanks, Tom. Appreciate you. I'm going to leave this mic here in case you need to switch from that okay. to this. See, the thing is, us, uh, those of us who've been youth pastors who have crazy ideas, we have to stick together. So, yeah, there you go. So that's why I'm behind you, Jordan, because I have crazy ideas too. Well, it's great to be with you tonight. How are you? Good. Yeah. I, I was just going to uh, say, uh, Mark just asked me, like, I was talking to people with no mask on. I had a mask on when we were singing. And I just to let you know, I'm wearing my mask every once in a while because I have a daughter who's pretty high risk. And I'm trying to reduce my risks. I said, I'm not, you know, I can't be, you know, I just can't be fully, can't be fully safe, but I'm going to be somewhat safe, you know? So I try to take care of my daughter. We had a, a birthday a couple weeks ago. My daughter turned 12. So she could finally get her vaccination, and, and like I said, she's high risk. So the first thing we did on her birthday was go get her a shot. That was super exciting. <laughs> so you never thought you'd be excited to have a shot on your birthday, did you? But uh, she was. So if you have a Bible um, and you want to use that or a phone or whatever, you can open to 2 Kings chapter 13. It'll be on the screens too. We're, we're going to use that tonight. But as, as Jordan talked about, you've been talking about next step, steps. We've been talking about that all around uh, our churches, and it's a pretty simple idea. It's this idea that uh, God is always asking us to take next steps. Uh, the Christian journey is not a static one. It's not one where you just, you know, you accept Jesus and then you're done, or you work a little bit for a while and you get to a spot and you're done. There's never done, right? There's always a next step, and there's actually a long way that God wants you to go in the journey, uh, and you don't have to run. Uh, you just have to take a next step, and if you've ever gone for a long walk, you know that a few steps after one another gets you quite a ways after a while. And so we're not asking you to take a leap, but we're also asking you not to stay in the same place that you are because God is inviting us to take a step. To, it's interesting, in the New Testament, uh, following Jesus, actually the, the word uh, in the Greek for that is to walk. Uh, and so we walk around, and the, the, the original Christians were called followers of the way. Uh, and we were called to walk in the way of Jesus, so we're going um, to do that. And we, and we are going to look to the scripture for that and have been looking to the scripture. You've been in, uh, in the prophets, particularly Elijah and Elisha, who are these really important prophets, probably the most known prophets. And we're going to go back into the story of Elisha um, this week. And the series has been all about these, uh, these steps that, that we see Elijah and Elisha taking as God challenges them, as they have something laid before them. And uh, we're going to ask, what does that mean for me right now as we kind of look at, at, at the Bible? That's kind of what we do. We, we go into the scriptures and we see what's happening there, try to understand what's happening, ask some hard questions and say, what, what about me? What does this mean for me? So they, today we're going to look at a particular story. Uh, it's the last one in this series, as Jordan said. You're going to hit into setting the table next week, which I'm really excited about uh, too. That's going to be that's going to be fun. But Elijah and Elisha are these uh, disciples, followers of Jesus, and they do some pretty extraordinary things. They do some uh, incredible things. In fact, they do some of the most incredible miracles that we see 
uh, in the Old Testament. Um, so before we get, though, to the second Kings passage, which I'll get to in a minute, I want to go back a little bit further with you than that, okay? I'm going to go back uh, to the book of Exodus, and I'm going to share with you a passage that you've probably heard before, um, or a version of this, because it shows up a couple different times throughout the scriptures. Uh, and this one's from Exodus 34, it'll come on the screens, and uh, it goes like this. God passed in front of Moses. This is where God is showing himself to Moses in the burning bush. He says, the Lord, the Lord... The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God is kind of talking about himself, right? He's, he's saying, this is who I am. I'm this kind of God. And then this last uh, part of that sentence where he describes himself, he says, yet he, talking about himself, this is kind of, you ever talk about yourself in the third person? God did it first, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, who likes that sentence in this room? Anybody? It's a, it's a hard sentence, right? It doesn't really seem fair, does it? I mean, this is the idea that, like, uh, your grandparents did something and you're going to be punished for it. Your parents are going to be punished, and you're going to be punished. And God is saying, this is the kind of God I am. Now, that's confusing to me. Is it confusing to you? It's a little bit hard to swallow, and it's one of those passages that are like, I want to sweep under the rug and not tell anybody about or ever preach about. It's a hard passage, but if you, this is from Exodus 34. So this is where God shows himself to Moses. It actually shows up a number of times. One of those times is in the Big Ten. Not the football. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the same phrase, or really close to this phrase, shows up in the Ten Commandments. The, the punishment goes from generation to generation and generation to generation. And before we get to the Elisha story, I want to introduce you to the character of Jehoash, who's going to show up in our story. Okay? Jehoash shows up in our story. And I'm going to tell you a little about him. We could dive into all the scriptures on this, um, but you, you can do that on your own. It's good to study the Bible in between. You know, Sunday's not the only time that you can study. You can get into it. So you can go back and you can kind of dig this stuff out. It's all there in Kings. Um, but it says this, in, uh, this is uh, from 2 Kings 13. So if you're already there, you can back up. I don't think this one's coming on the screen. But Jehoaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he, did, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. So a lot of names, Jeho Jehoahaz, uh, Jeroboam, uh, and the idea here is that uh, Jehoahaz becomes king of Israel, and he reigns 17 years. He did, he did evil just like the one before him, Jeroboam. And so you've got one evil guy, this is the easy way to say it, you've got one evil guy, who's followed by another evil guy. And what's important in the story is that Jehoahaz was a king of Israel, and he's a bad king following a bad king. And so you've got these sons that follow one another, and they continue to be bad kings. And this is like, if I'm going to sum up the whole uh, like story of kings for you, there's all this stuff about the prophets, there's all this interesting history stuff, but this piece is actually really important. The king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this Jehoahaz that's mentioned here, a few hundred years earlier, it talks about Jeroboam, I mentioned that a second ago. Jeroboam was the one who divided the nation, so helped to split these, uh, the, 
there were 12 tribes in Israel, and they're split apart, and some are in the north, and some are in the south, and they fight against each other, and the, the people of God are split apart. And so when it says, the, when the author says here that Jehoahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he's basically saying he did the same thing. Like one evil guy follows another evil guy, and they continue to push away from God. Not only are they pushing away from God, but they're leading people away from God. So Jehoahaz does the same thing. And after Jehoahaz dies, comes Jehoash. <laughs> There's so many names that sound similar to each other, but the, Jehoash is the one that comes up in our story. And the question, as you're reading through Kings, you're reading, it's like, is this king going to be the good one now? Or is this one going to do evil in the eyes of the Lord as, as well? Will Jehoash be like Jehoahaz, or will he be different? Okay, so that gets us to 2 Kings verse 13. It says this, Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. So again, it's almost the same language over and over again. It's he, he did just like his father did, just like his grandfather did, just like the king before him and the king before him. So is he any better than his dad? Does he lead people in the right direction? No. So let me go back to that Exodus passage a minute. When it says that uh, God visits the sins from the grandpa to the dad to the kid, that we don't like that. Let me talk about my family a minute. Uh, my wife and I have this interesting conversation every once in a while. When uh, those of your parents, do your kids ever do stuff that you uh, have told them not to do? Or is it only me? <laughs> I see parents looking at kids. Uh, so my kids, they rebel sometimes. We'll just call it that, right? And we, ha we have uh, what I call punishments. Anybody have punishments in their home for your kids? Oh, come on, you do, right? We haven't given up on those. So we have punishments. And so I say, like, you're going to be, how many, you know, how many people have taken this away before, right? Uh, we have this punishment at home. Okay, give me your phone. Now you're punished. Yeah. And my wife, so she's, my wife's a or was a teacher, She's way better at language than I am and all this kind of stuff. And she'll say, we aren't giving them punishments. And I said, yes, we are. We're giving them punishments. And she said, oh, no, we're giving them consequences. Do you know the difference? I didn't know the difference. I still don't understand the difference totally, but I'm going to try to explain it to you. Here's the difference from my wife. She says, uh, you, we're not punishing them. We told them the rules. We told them the consequences. They chose what? The consequences. So she just, she always says this. She, the, the kids get mad at us. I don't know, your kids ever get mad at you for the punishments? Uh, she says, well, I'm not giving you a punishment. You chose your consequences. And it's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't that kind of brilliant? That's kind of, I think, what God is talking about here. Uh, he's not talking, this is not a cruel God who wants to hurt his people. This is a God who's saying, listen, there are consequences to choosing the wrong way. All throughout the Old Testament, and even in Exodus there, God says this, he said, I, I lay before you today life and death. Choose life. And so what he's saying in that Exodus passage is, if you choose death, guess what? You're going to get death. If you choose to walk down the wrong way, you're going to have consequences that happen. And what God is saying is, it, these consequences are big. So Jordan, if you make bad decisions, Guess who's going to be affected by those bad decisions? You and who else? 
your family, your kids, and grandkids someday, right? And so that's what God is warning us of here. He's saying, listen, um, if you step into the wrong way, if you don't follow the, the way that leads to life, you're going to have consequences, and those consequences are deep. They're not just decisions you make for yourself. And you know, we love to talk about our liberty, right? Well, I have, I have freedom to do this. And you have freedom to hurt people around you and people for generations to come. That's what God is getting. So let me reframe that passage a minute. God is not leaving the guilty unpunished with the consequences of sin affecting the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generations. So again, uh, we're going to get to the actual story of Elisha in just a minute, but I, I want to set this all up for you because before we dive deeper in this story, I want to resonate a minute with this wayward king. This, this king spent his whole life growing up underneath an evil father who grew up under evil as well. And so he grew up in some pretty bad situations. He didn't have a good dad to show him the way. I kind of, I, as I was studying this, all I could think about was I could think about like, about like a mob family in New York, you know, however many years ago, and a kid growing up in the family business, right? And what has he been taught since he's a little kid? And then there's a point as he gets older, and you can probably imagine a movie, I couldn't think of a specific movie, but a movie in which the dad, the old mobster, is passing on the family business to his kid, and the right thing to do is for him to step away how hard is it for that kid to step away? Because he's been taught. He's been taught a bad leadership model. He's been taught uh, a bad way of living. He's been taught that he can get whatever he wants by using violence. And he follows that model. And he follows the sins of his father who followed the sins of his father who followed the sins of his father. And the sins reverberate throughout the generations. And sometimes... We get stuck there. Because it's not just stories of the Bible like this, right? This, this is true about many of our families. Sometimes we only go uh, as far as our fathers and we follow our fathers or our mothers. Sometimes we get stuck in the things that have been taught us and, and instead of listening beyond them to the God who's leading us, we see the pattern that's right in front of us. And maybe your parents... Uh, Maybe your parents served success and money and upward mobility instead of the downward mobility that God, the God of the Bible calls us to. And so you followed the same thing and you've been pursuing success all of your life. Maybe your parents uh, made life all about them and about their protection and their blessing. And so you don't know that true joy comes from giving away blessing and by loving your neighbor because you weren't taught that. Maybe your parents told you that those people were bad people and your people were good people and so you never moved beyond creating walls and barriers between the good types of people and the bad types of people. Maybe your parents never took an inward journey so you didn't even know that it was an option to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you leading your heart. Maybe your parents never taught you much beyond that faith is about rule keeping. And they never introduced you to the God who loves you and who's inviting you into a whole different kind of life. Now, I'm not here to bash parents because I am one. <laughs> My wife and I, years ago, we started an account. Like, there's college account, you know, when you start the college, we didn't start that one. We're not smart enough for that. Um, we, we started a counseling account. We're, we're messing up our kids. They're going to need counseling. We're going to put money into counseling for our kids. 
Uh, it's a good idea, by the way, because you are going to mess up your kids <laughs> um, because you are not a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. And none of our parents were. And some of our parents, I mean, they, they did the best that they could. So I'm not here to bash parents. What God is saying is that when you follow the you follow the way of Jesus and you teach your kids that and you raise your kids up in this. You've heard this in the scripture. Your kids will know which way to go. And when you turn away from God, they will follow that way as well. And so in the case of Jehoash, he's seen something his family has always done. And it's been a debilitating barrier for him. And he doesn't have the ability, or he has the ability, he doesn't take the choice to step beyond it. He gets caught in the cycle of generation to generation to generation to generation. So a question before we get to the scripture story, and I'll get to that in just a second. Here's a question. I want you to consider now and we'll come back to it. Is there a limit in your life that God is asking you to consider stepping through? We're talking about next steps. This is the last next step Sunday. Is there a barrier in your life Maybe it's something that your family told you and, you and you think God has something different for me. Is there something that God is asking you to step into, to trust him with, that you might consider stepping through? Okay, let's get to the, let's get to the story here. Uh, with all that in mind, let's uh, get, get to Elisha is on his deathbed and he's in this place where he's been, um, he's been suffering and he's about to die uh, and he begins, uh, I don't know what I have for, what's the next slide here? Okay, so we're going to read the story from the scripture. I'll just turn around here and read it from here. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, this is a Jehoash I was just telling you about. He's stuck in this cycle of evil, right? Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Now, let me stop there. So here's what happens. The, Elisha's on his deathbed. Elisha's this powerful prophet. The king wants the prophet to help him. And so on his deathbed, when Elisha's on his deathbed, the king goes to get something from Elisha. And he says these words. So they're a little bit cryptic words. They're not something, uh, they're not super clear. Um, but he's, he's calling, father, my father, my father. He's giving honor to, the, to Elisha as a prophet. Probably not the kind of honor that you would, you, that you would expect him to really give. He actually just wants something. <laughs> so he's honoring Elisha. And then he says this phrase, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Which he's at, so in the, in the midst of this war, and he wants Elisha to call the power of God which the king knows he has, and to use it on his behalf to win. Okay? And so we continue. So Elisha says to him, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. So let me explain what's happening here. So what Elisha is doing is Elisha's trying to teach something to the king, and so he uses a visual. It's kind of like a, it's kind of a parable. And so he says, I want you, what I want you to do is I want to take one of your arrows. So he says, okay, I'll take one of the arrows. Open the window, opens the window, shoot the arrow. He shoots the arrow. And he says, this represents the victory that you're going to have in, in this battle. Okay? So that's what Elisha does. He goes on in the story. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. So he takes his arrows out of his quiver, uh, and he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. 
Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha has died and was buried. Anything seem weird to you about that story at the end there? Is it just me or um, does Elisha ask him to do something but doesn't tell him the full thing? Are you... Why didn't Elisha say, well, you should tell him to hit the ground six times and he only does it three? Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to try to unpack that a little bit to you. So Elisha's old. Um, he's about to die. The king comes to him in a panic. He wants a favor. He wants him to win the wars for him. And Elisha says, take the bow. And he shoots the bow. And he says, take the arrows. And he, he bangs the arrows against the ground. And uh, you wonder what's going on when all of a sudden Elisha just gets angry. Why did you stop? What are you doing? Well, the, the king, I imagine, if I'm the king, I'm like, well, you, you didn't tell me how many. Have you ever had somebody um, get mad at you for not doing what they didn't tell you to do? They get, uh, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do all of that. You didn't give me the whole story, right? Uh, maybe... Maybe you've tried to do something, you know, for God, and, and, and you, you kind of hear back that you didn't do enough, and you're like, well, I didn't know I had to do that much, God. I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do. So there's something weird going on in the story, and, and I wonder if there's more to it than we're paying attention to. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I didn't listen to Jordan's sermons beforehand, but I know you were talking about Elijah and Elisha. Uh, there's this moment where Elisha's walking along with Elijah, and Elijah is at the end of his life. And there's a point where Elijah says, okay, I'm going to go on, and you can stay here. And here's, uh, here's what happens. Um, Elijah, Elijah has an option to stop, and, and, and Elisha says, no, I'm going to keep going with you. And Elisha says, well, okay, I guess if you want to come, you can come. So they go a little further, and then Elijah says, well, I'm going to keep going. You can stop here. And what does Elisha do? He says, no, I'm going to keep going further. And they finally come to a point where Elijah turns to Elisha and says, what do you want me to do for you? You keep following me. I keep telling you you've gone far enough. Why do you keep following me? And Elisha says this to Elijah. This is Second Kings. Um, in Second Kings, I uh, actually don't have the, the number of where this, what chapter this is at. He says, tell me what I can do for you before I'm uh, taken from you, Elijah says to Elisha. And Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He basically says, I want to I go beyond where you've gone, Elijah. Thanks for mentoring, but I want to go further. I want to follow God even further. I want to do even more than you have done. You see, Elisha is all in. Elisha's not the kind of guy who says like, well, how can I do just enough? Anybody, uh, anybody ever have a class and you were like, what's the passing grade that I get by on this thing? Right? Uh, I've been there, you know. Um, actually, funny story. Um, I took nutrition in college because I figured like nutrition is easy, right? It's just like eating stuff. I failed one class in college. Guess what one it was? Nutrition. Because I was trying to just squeak by, you know, and I didn't pay attention. And Elisha's not that kind of guy. He says, we're not going to squeak by. We're going to go all the way, and we're going to go further than all the way. We're going to go all in. You see, I think, I think Jesus would have liked Elisha because, remember, Jesus says things like this. He says, uh, hey, if somebody asks you for their coat, give them your coat and give them your tunic. Jesus says, if somebody asks you to walk a mile with them or to ride your bike 3.8 miles to your house, uh, ride, ride there and back with them, right? Actually, he says, if you walk a mile, walk, you know, walk two miles. 
Jesus says if someone strikes you on one cheek, give them the other cheek as well. I, I think Jesus would have liked Elisha. Have you heard this phrase, like, leave it all on the field? Right? Or can we give the last 10%? Elisha's an all on the field, last 10% kind of guy. And I think, I can't prove this, but I think in this story, what's happening is that Elisha realized that Jehoash just wants what he can get to make sure that he's safe to get his kingdom back. And Elisha says, no, your fathers did that. Your father did that, your father's father, your father's father. You, you have the opportunity here to go beyond. What if God is offering you way more than you realized and so I know it's, a, it's kind of a weird story where he hits the three or throws the three arrows, however that goes. Apparently he had more in his quiver. And Elisha wants him to empty the quiver. Again, it's a metaphor. It's not that actually the arrow somehow is going to make him, you know, win these battles. But what Elisha is saying is that you are not trusting God with everything. You're just trying to squeak by and get by. You're stopping short. You're not leaving it all in the field. You're not asking God to show up big. You're just asking him to show up a little bit. I wonder, and again, I can't prove this, but I wonder if that's who Jehoash was and Elisha knew that. And so Elisha is giving them this really hard picture of himself. Jehoash, I really want you to go all in because Elisha's that kind of guy. I wonder, as we get to sort of some personal application here, and let me use that metaphor of the arrows. I wonder how many of us live at three arrows or less. Like we've been given some stuff. We've been given some hope by God. We've been given some pictures of the gospel. We've been given a picture of transformation in our communities. And we're like, well, but what can I do to just get by? What if God is calling us to steps four, five, and six? What if God is asking us to move on whether that's a set of family expectations that we never have thought about that have hold, held us back, or it's our own securities. I talk to insecurities. I talk to so many people who say, uh, nobody ever told me that I could do more. Nobody ever told me there was more out there. Well, the scripture's telling you that. God has created you to be amazing people with amazing gifts and you can make an amazing transformational experience not only in your own life but in other people's life. But you've got to trust God that he can show up big. I don't think we get miracles by not asking for them. I don't think we get cultural transformation by not pursuing cultural transformation. I don't think we get to a transformed character without pursuing the transformation of our character. And we don't take a step unless we take a step. That's my brilliant thing for tonight. <laughs> we don't take a step unless we take a step. If you don't take a next step, you're going to stay right where you are. Maybe you've been handed limited expectations. Maybe you've always lived within limited expectations, but what if God has more for you? Let me end with one last uh, scripture here and then a challenge. I'm gonna read you a scripture. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 18. It's not gonna come up on the screen. I just want you to listen to it in light of the kind of the story from um, Elisha and Joash. Jesus approached Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging 
And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, listen to this, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember the words of Elijah to Elisha when Elisha followed him and followed him and followed him? Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus says to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And I think Jesus asked you today, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want me to just help you be content where you are in the spot that you're in so that you can stay there for the rest of your life? Or is there something that Jesus is calling you to or that you can invite Jesus to, to get behind you? This man, we're told, the blind man is a beggar, and uh, blind people um, would, would sit in these spots uh, at, at the gates where people would go in and out, and they would ask for money, and their survival depended on people giving them a few scraps of food, some clothes, maybe a place to speak, and uh, to sleep, I mean, and um, I might expect him to say, um, yeah, I need, a, a, I need a buck, you know, so I can... Uh, buy something off the value meal at McDonald's. Uh, I could use some clothes, or I could use a bed for the night. I don't want to sleep under the rain. Or maybe can you help me find a better spot to beg from, because this one's all dried up. But no, he doesn't ask for food. He doesn't ask for shelter. He doesn't ask for clothes. He doesn't ask for small. He doesn't stop short. The man says this. He says, Lord, I want to see. He doesn't stop at three arrows. He throws a whole gauntlet. Jesus, I want to see. That's a big ask from that guy. Elisha says to Elijah, I want to to be twice the man you are. (laughs) That's a big ask. I wonder, are you afraid of a big ask of God today? What's the big ask that you have of God? Doesn't mean you're going to get it. (laughs) I mean, God's not a slot machine, so you're not necessarily going to just get it. But you're certainly not going to get it if you don't ask. What is the hope that God has placed in your heart that you could ask him for. God, I don't want to be healed from my addiction. God, I want my marriage to be better. God, I want my neighborhood to change. God, I want my parents to know Jesus. What's the big ask for you? I, I, can't, I have a bunch of them in my life. Um, and Jesus is saying, what, what do you want? All six arrows. Bring them all before me. So tonight the question is, uh, what's your next step? What's your big next step? What's the thing that you really want God to answer in your life? And what step are you going to take? Because you've got to the, say the words. You've got to step out. You've got to move. Because that's what faith and trust is. It's stepping into what God has for us and then inviting God to respond. Would you pray with me? God, we uh, thank you that you are not a God who leaves us on the couch where we are. You don't leave us in the spot that we are. If we have been handed um, some history that's um, not good, Joash uh, had a terrible history. He had evil parents and evil grandparents. And yet, God, you always give us the opportunity to step into a different direction. And just like the Old Testament you lay before people life and death. You lay before us life and death. And you say, take a step towards life and away from death. Father, wherever we are today, 
if we've just been stuck and we haven't been able to move, help us take a, a small next step. God, if we've been living in darkness, help us to take a step into the light. If we've been feeling like we've been held back, God, would you free us of those chains and help us to make, take a next step? God, would you help us to see what is the next step that you want us to take and give us the courage to step into it? In Jesus' name, amen.